illuminating facts, candid conversations, and some levity to lighten your day. This is The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. Welcome to Wednesday. Yeah, we're going to get you over the hump today. It's going to be an exciting show. Trust me, it's going to be a lot of fun. 888-914-9149 is the number to call to talk to me for free. 888-914-9149, the toll-free listener line. You're on Relevant Radio for The Kale Clark Show. Today is also the feast. It's October the 4th. It's the feast of one of the greatest saints, one of the most popular saints for sure in the history of the church, St. Francis of Assisi. Lots of fun stuff. He had the stigmata. We're going to talk about that. You might have questions about that. 888 You can also email the program. If you got a great show idea for me, Faith, Facts, and Fun, you know it's the name of the game here on The Kale Clark Show. Send me a link. Send me a story idea. Love to hear from you guys. The email is kale, C-A-L-E, at relevantradio.com. And you can find me also on the X app at Kale Clark, C-A-L-E, Clark with an E. And uh, I want to thank Miranda Sinaceros, uh, who's one of our associate producers here at Relevant Radio. New to the team. So glad she's a part of the team. Had a, had a really cool graphic, by the way, if you check on X uh, for the show on the uh, show account at Kale Clark Show or on the Relevant Radio account. You'll see it there. Really cool stigmata graphic. We are going to talk about the stigmata because when it comes to St. Francis of Assisi, that's something that really, really stands out. And, and it was the feast day of Padre Pio not, not too long ago, just a few days ago. Another stigmatist, uh, this time from the 20th century. But St. Francis, it's amazing how his life really, in so many ways, recapitulates the life of Jesus. In fact, G.K. Chesterton, if you're looking for a great biography of St. Francis of Assisi. I really like the one by G.K. Chesterton, the great British convert to the Catholic faith, called St. Francis of Assisi. Now, what's really cool about it, and it, it, Chesterton's amazing because he wrote, a, he wrote a biography also of St. Thomas Aquinas called The Dumb Ox. And uh, he was far from dumb. <laughs> but that was a nickname that was given to him. He was kind of portly. He was on the portly side. Um, but he was a theological giant, obviously. And it's said that uh, Aquinas had a, a sort of a semicircle cut into his desk to fit his belly in as he was studying. Uh, so anyways, Thomistic scholars who dedicated their lives to studying Thomas Aquinas, they read, they read Chesterton's little biography. It's not that long. It's pretty, it's pretty thin. They read Chesterton's biography of St. Thomas and they said, man, this guy nailed it. He, uh, he's not even a Thomistic scholar, he, but he absolutely nailed St. Thomas. I think he did a great job with the St. Francis biography as well. So that's a good one to pick up for some, some reading, some good spiritual reading. And it's intriguing because one of the things that Chesterton says about Francis is that he, he was really a mirror of Christ. He was a mirror of Christ. And we all have to be at some level. <laughs> you might think, well, I'm not going to get the stigmata. At least I hope not. Please, Lord, don't send me the stigmata. So how, how can we live like Christ in, in our particular situations? We haven't taken these vows, these vows of poverty, uh, chastity and obedience, um, but we still have to live out those virtues, even in our our life as lay people, as lay men and women. We've definitely got to check uh, that. So how, we'll talk about how to do that as we go along. So once again, you can call in triple eight nine one four nine one four nine. Scale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. But I do want to talk right now about the stigmata specifically. And I read an interesting piece on this, how it how this came about in the life of Saint Francis from a Franciscan friar. Father Solanus Mary, OFM. And he, he actually also really loves the, the Chesterton biography of St. Francis. 
And he said it was really cool because when he was assigned to go to England as a Franciscan friar, he actually went to Beaconsfield in Buckinghamshire. And that's that's where St. Teresa's Church is. And that was actually the parish church that Chesterton actually attended. And there's actually a lovely stained glass window in memory of Chesterton. It's kind of dedicated to him. But it's actually a stained glass window of St. Francis of Assisi receiving the stigmata. Now, if you're just tuning in, and we're glad to have you, maybe you're not Catholic, maybe you're not aware of this, you don't know, what is the stigmata? The stigmata is when a person receives the same wounds that Jesus received on the cross. It's happened a few times throughout history. So, let me tell you about how St. Francis actually received the stigmata. There's there's lots of biographies about St. Francis, lots of volumes, uh, you know, tons of buckets and buckets of ink have been spilled over the centuries including the the more recent one by Chesterton, but one of the earliest biographies of St. Francis was written by another saint, St. Bonaventure. And he talks about how St. Francis actually received the stigmata and actually happened towards the end of his life. And it was about actually two years before he died, um, 20 years after he dedicated himself to this, this new religious life. It was the year 1224 A.D., so early 13th century. And what, he, what actually he wanted to do, St. Francis, he wanted to go to a quiet place. He wanted to go up on a mountain. He wanted to be as alone with God as possible. He wasn't totally by himself. There were other friars with him. But the reason why he went up to a mountain, and he picked Mount Laverna. Mount Laverna. Um, Mount La Shirley was not available. Laverna and Shirley. That's a terrible pun. I just made that up. It's awful. Excise that from the record, but he went to Mount Laverna uh, in Tuscany, in the Tuscany region, and he wanted to be by himself, virtually by himself, so that he could make a 40-day fast in honor of St. Michael the Archangel. And we just celebrated the Feast of the Archangels on September the 29th, St. Michael, St. Raphael, St. Gabriel. So... Now, I don't recommend necessarily what, he's a, what, he's, what, he, what he did. He is a saint, um, but what he wanted was really, he wanted God's will to be revealed to him about sort of what to, what to think about, what to pray about during this 40-day period where he was going to sort of fast and pray. And of course, he, he really loved the Gospels. And as people say, maybe nobody lived the Gospel as radically as did St. Francis. And the, the stories about his life are, are myriad uh, on this front. So there was another friar that was there with him, and he said, look, I'm looking for God's will here. And St. Francis said, here's what you're going to do. I want you to open the book of the Gospels three times. I want you to open it randomly three times. And whatever we find there, that's what I'm going to do. So that's what happened. Uh, Three different times, this friar opened the book of the Gospels. So it was a book containing all four Gospels in one. And every single time it opened, it landed on the Passion Narrative. In you know John or in Mark or in Matthew, Luke doesn't matter. Every time they opened it, it would land on the Passion. So Saint Francis sort of said, "Okay, I get it. I get it. This is this is what God wants me to do." Now we have to be really, really careful about opening the Bible at random when we're looking uh, for God, God's guidance in our lives. Maybe, obviously, it's really, really good to consult a spiritual director. We need to kind of know the context of, of the situation, what we're reading. There's so many things that go into discerning God's will. That'd be a great show topic another time. But there's there's an old joke that 
some someone was wondering what to do and so he's like i'm just going to open the bible random whatever verse i land on that's what i'm going to do so he just opens the bible and he lands on oh he pu- puts his finger down and judas went outside and hung himself oh no no i don't like that one so he keeps flipping around another verse whatever you're about to do do it quickly no 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 we, we so we can we can kind of you know we have to be careful with that but in this case god used this process to and we know that he did because he verified it with an external event. So basically, Francis knew that, okay, three times I open the book of the Gospels, three times it lands on the Passion. So St. Bonaventure, who wrote this biography of, of uh, St. Francis of Assisi, said, Francis understood when this happened that he has to become like Christ in the distress and the agony of his Passion before he left this world, just as he had been like him in all that he did during his life. So St. Francis tried to copy the life of Christ. He tried to be another Christ. And that's really what the word Christian means. It means to be a little Christ. And so he, he, he did that throughout his life. Now he's approaching his death and he understands that his death is in some way going to mirror the death of Jesus Christ. You're listening to the Cale Clark Show on Relevant Radio, 888 9149. It's the Feast of St. Francis of Assisi. So this is what happened according to St. Bonaventure. So he kind of gets this premonition from the, from the book of the Gospels. And then he says, quote, One morning, about the time of the Feast of the Exaltation of the Holy Cross, while he was passing on the mountainside, Francis saw a seraph with six fiery wings coming down from the highest point in the heavens. The vision descended swiftly and came to rest in the air near him. Then he saw the image of a man crucified in the midst of the wings, with his hands and feet stretched out and nailed to a cross. Two of the wings of the seraph were raised above his head, and two were stretched out in flight, while the remaining two shielded his body. Now, the seraph, obviously, this is one of the, again, back to St. Thomas Aquinas, he talked about the nine choirs of angels and the heavenly choir, the division of angels that's said to be the closest to God's throne in heaven. They are the seraphim. So, that, uh, very often you hear about um, the seraph the, the, in, in Scripture uh, crying, holy, 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 you know, before the throne of God, and they never stop saying this, so... Hey, God likes repetitive prayers. Right? Like people say to, to Catholics sometimes, oh, these repetitive prayers, they don't please God. Yes, they do. Yes, they do. Um, it's like hearing I love you. You never get tired of it. The seraph in this vision is clearly from this choir of angels closest to God's throne. And the man in this vision that St. Francis saw, who was crucified, clearly it's our Lord. It's a vision of our Lord. And that's, that's this stained glass window that I talked about. And, and you've probably seen, there's many paintings of this image as well. Kind of looks like a, a phoenix, if you will, in, in the heavens, a uh, Christ crucified and the, the wings uh, of the seraph uh, wrapped around him and stretched out in flight. It's really a powerful image. And so Francis realized when this happened to him, he had this mystical encounter. He realized that, man, I'm going to somehow have to suffer the passion of the Christ somehow in my own life. Just as I've tried to imitate Christ in life, I'm going to have to imitate him in death as well. So the vision went away. The vision went away, but that's when the stigmata actually appeared for real, externally, on his body. The marks of the nails, 
on his hands, the marks of the nails in his feet, the wound in his side, where just as Christ was pierced with a lance on the cross. And he tried to hide it. He tried to hide it. After, after his retreat, he had this 40-day mountaintop retreat. He, came to, he comes down from the mountain. He tried the, as best he possibly could to hide the stigmata. But he couldn't do it. And one of the reasons why he couldn't do it is because God made sure that miracles happened through the stigmata. Now, here, here's one of them. Here's one, here's one miracle that, that happened. And again, this is Bonaventure who talks about this. So after uh, Francis of Sisi got the stigmata, there was this terrible plague, this terrible disease that, that came upon the livestock, the sheep, the cows, in this place called Rieti. Uh, the province of Rieti, and that's in the middle of Italy. It's right in the central part of Italy. And nobody knew what was going on. There's no cure for this. These animals are just dropping dead. They're getting sick. They're lying all over the ground. And this is a disaster. I mean, this is our food. This is our livelihood. And then one night, there was this very pious guy in the community, this very pious Catholic guy. And he has a vision. He has this dream at night. And in this vision at night, he is told to go to the hermitage where St. Francis of Assisi was living. And he was told to go there and to get the water basin that Francis was using to wash his hands and his feet. And then take this water, go back to the herds, the livestock, the sheep, and sprinkle it on the animals. So he wakes up from, from, from sleep, and he's thinking, okay, that was strange. Uh, did I have some really weird double anchovy pizza last night? It just is not sitting well. I don't know why I had this vision, but nothing else is working. We've got this terrible plague that's, that's come upon us. I'm, I'm going to go with this. I'm going to run with this and think, you know, maybe this is from God. So he's obedient to the vision. So he goes to the hermitage, and he tells the friars about it, and they're like, look, we really, really don't want to bring this up with Saint, you know, with, with Francis of Assisi. He wasn't canonized at that point, but we really don't want to bring this up with Francis because he's trying to hide the stigmata. He doesn't really want people to know about this. So, so the other friars smuggle out the water that Saint Francis was washing his stigmata with, washing the wounds. So they kind of smuggle it out. They give it to this guy, and he brings it back to Rieti. And then he takes this water, he sprinkles it on the animals, and it is said that the, I mean they were lying on the ground they were some of them were dead some of them were near death he sprinkles the the water on these animals the cattle the sheep and then poof, they just pop up like they've been raised from the dead they're just they just the ones that were sick they just get up and not only do they get up they, they actually start grazing they just start running to pasture and they, they just start playing and running around like young animals that had never been sick and not only that not only was this disease banished it never came back it never came back. This strange disease that infected the livestock, the sheep, never came back. So that's just one miracle that took place because of the, the stigmata of Francis of Assisi. You're listening to the Cale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. So he tried very, very hard to hide the stigmata, but he really couldn't do it. And in fact, people did see them. They kind of got cut a glimpse here and there. And even the Pope... Even the Pope actually saw his stigmata. And then really kind of everybody saw the stigmata because after he died, two years after he received the stigmata, he died, 1226. And when his body was laid out and there was like this huge procession of people that came from all over the place to, to pray, um, you know, essentially at his coffin, 
and they would they would saw his wounds and they would venerate his wounds as he lay there in state. And so, and believe it or not, the Franciscans have a separate feast day for the stigmata of St. Francis. That's actually on the, on the 17th of September. How about that? So that's already passed by. But today's the actual feast day of St. Francis of Assisi, and it's a really amazing account of the stigmata. So we're going to talk, we've got to take a little break right now, but we're going to talk also about, okay, we, we are probably not going to get the stigmata, and this is probably something that you don't want. Uh, this is going to be, it's a cross to bear for sure, absolutely, but it's also a, a great, Caress from God, if you will, great gift. But nonetheless, we still have to, just like St. Francis tried to do, we have to try to be a mirror of Christ. Well, how do we do that if we're living in the middle of the world? We haven't taken these vows of poverty, chastity, and obedience. So how can we do this? How can we do this? Well, we're going to try to explore one of the answers after the break on the K.O. Clark Show, 888-914-9149. Be right back. So you can explain it to others. It's the Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Hey, welcome back to the program. It's October the 4th, Feast of St. Francis of Assisi. Lots of cool stuff coming up on the program. You're not going to want to miss out, but call in right now, 888-914-9149. We were just talking about the stigmata. Now, St. Francis of Assisi, of course, had the stigmata, talked about how that came about. In more recent times, Padre Pio did as well. Another great saint with an incredible confluence of, of just the sheer concentration of supernatural events in the life of Padre Pio. It just boggles the imagination, staggers the mind. Um, and and that, it's highly unlikely that this will happen to us. But nonetheless, we still have to, in, in, just as St. Francis tried to do, tried to, tried to be a mirror of Jesus Christ. And of course, with the stigmata, he, get, he got the stigmata very close to the end of his life. And uh, Chesterton says in his book on St. Francis of Assisi that actually after St. Francis saw this vision of the seraph, the seraphic angel in, in heaven and the crucified Lord, he gets the stigmata. He actually started to go blind after this, which is maybe it's just the, the blinding vision from heaven really did a number on on his eyesight. It's kind of interesting in, in that way because a lot of people think about St. Paul, and St. Paul always talked about having a thorn in the flesh. He called it a messenger of, of, of Satan and to torment me. And what is this thorn in the flesh? And he talks about some of the struggles that he has. And there's all these theories about what he struggled with. Some people think he struggled with lust. Some people thought, thought he struggled with whatever. But one of the more interesting theories is that he also was kind of going blind that he was struggling with his eyesight and a lot of people think that it stemmed from a heavenly vision that saint paul had obviously on the road to damascus when christ encounters him he's resurrected he's ascended into heaven he's glorified at this point at the right hand of the father and paul has this vision and he's struck blind he's struck blind and and maybe he never really fully recovered from that and that would have to be obviously a cross to bear especially for a scholar like St Paul to not be able to read and and um to have your vision kind of uh 
uh, obviously deteriorating like that. And I think even in, in modern times, about the great father Robert Spitzer, who's a great friend of Relevant Radio, and, and he himself also, you know, his eyesight is deteriorating. But as St. Paul said, the Lord told him, my power is made perfect in weakness. My grace is sufficient for you. And, and I don't know, I, I think it's a good theory because in uh, one of his writings, St. Paul actually, he used a scribe, to, he sort of dictated his letters to a scribe, but at one point he kind of grabs the quill from the scribe and he writes on the papyrus and he says, see with what large letters I use to write. You know, it's almost like he can't see well, so he's using big letters. And maybe it's because he couldn't see very well. And he sort of, he signed it, sort of signed off in that way, wrote on it himself so that people knew it was from him, from Paul. And very often, uh, that's what he did. But St. Francis of Assisi, how can we emulate him and, and by doing so emulate Christ, just as St. Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Well, clearly we don't, you know, we're not members of a religious order, most of us. Some of you listening might be. But these vows, these evangelical vows of poverty, chastity or purity and, and obedience, we don't take vows, but we still have to live these virtues. We still have to live purity, of course, chastity. We have, no matter what state of life we're in, if we're married, we're single, we've got to live purity in that sense for sure and we have to be obedient to competent authorities to our own bishop our own ordinary we have to be obedient to the gospel of jesus christ for sure we also have to be obedient to one another um there are times when we're asked to do things by a legitimate authority maybe it's our boss maybe it's even in the home our, our spouse we've got to submit to to one another out of reverence for christ as saint paul says but i want to focus specifically on this idea of poverty because we as lay people, as we're living in the middle of the world, we, we say, well, how can, how can we possibly work on, on this virtue? And St. Francis of Assisi, he called it, he actually personified poverty, called her Lady Poverty. Sister Death, right? Uh, sister Death, Lady Poverty, Brother Sun, Sister Moon, all that stuff. Well, Lady Poverty, we, we have to kind of make friends with her as well. And, and how can we really do that? Well, St. Jose Maria Escriva who founded Opus Dei, he used to talk a lot about this, how to live poverty in the middle of the world. Because, let's face it, as lay people, we have to use things. We have to have things, we have to use things as part of our life, because we, we want to serve our families, we want to protect them, we've got to give them a home to live in, got to put a roof over their heads, we need to drive them to school, we need to get ourselves to work, we need Sometimes vehicles, we need, maybe we ride a bike, I don't know, maybe you live close, I don't know. You, you need clothes to wear, um, you, need, you need to eat, you need things, tools to, to do your work, whether it's a computer, or whatever the case may be. So we have to have these things, but it's a really difficult proposition in the modern world to make sure that those things don't have us. We've got to use things and love people, not the other way around, and very often it is backwards, in this world, most people love things and use people. Not good, not good. We want to use things. We want to help use those things so that we can love people, love God and love people better. So here's what St. Jose Maria said, and this is in um, uh, one of his uh, collection of his writings called The Forge. Kind of a bunch of spiritual maxims, points for our consideration and prayer. Point number 46 in The Forge, he said, My God... I see I shall never accept you as my Savior unless I acknowledge you as my model at the same time. Since you yourself chose to be poor, 
make me love holy poverty. I resolve with your grace to live and die in poverty, even though I may have millions at my disposal. No, he didn't, but, but I, 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 listen, even if I were to be a millionaire, I, I resolve to live in holy poverty. So how is that possible? Well, it is possible for somebody to actually have possessions, even great possessions, but still live this virtue of, of holy poverty. Well, how can we do that? How can we do that? And, and, and by the way, having resources is not necessarily a sin at all. Um, it's not. I mean, it's, how, it's all what we do with them. And some people can handle it, some people can't. Um, but just don't think that just because you're poor, that means you're automatically spiritual. I know that in the Scripture it talks about the poor and how they can glorify God. But there are many poor people that shake their fist at the heavens and hate God. And many poor people are actually quite avaricious. And again, St. Jose Maria said during the Spanish Civil War, at the time of great strife, great suffering, he, he talked about this guy in one of the soup kitchens. Everybody was, you know, totally down on their luck. It was, it was brutal. It was just horrific times. But this guy, this guy who lived on the streets, he had this spoon. He had his own special spoon, which was a pewter spoon. It was really nice, really shiny. And he kept it in his jacket, and he wouldn't let anybody else touch it. He wouldn't let anybody else use it. This is his spoon that he ate his soup with. It's like this spoon was an idol in his life. I mean, as crazy as it is, as, as small of a thing as it is in the grand scheme of life, it, it became an idol. So we all have to be kind of cognizant of this, that, that we can, our possessions can sometimes possess us. So a couple, couple things that we can do to make sure that we can live the spot, spirit of poverty even in the middle of the world. St. Jose Maria said, one of the things you can do is be sparing with yourself, kind of be stingy with yourself, but be very, very generous towards others. So maybe give somebody else the biggest piece of cake. I don't know. Uh, avoid avoid unnecessary expenditures on luxuries and comforts. And that's, this is again, a matter of discernment, whether it's, he says, whether it's out of caprice or vanity, hey, I want people to know that I can afford to buy a BMW. So that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to, it's a, it's a status symbol, whatever the case may be. And I'm not, I'm not trashing anybody who has BMWs or anything like that. I'm just saying, um, don't create needs for yourself. That's, that's what he said. Don't create needs for yourself. And, and St. Paul was a really good model of this, by the way, as well, as St. Francis. In Philippians chapter 4, that famous passage where he says, I can do all things in Christ who strengthens me. And Paul had hard times. He had times that weren't so hard. It didn't really matter in the end. He kind of lived for Christ no matter what. He said, I know how to live in poverty. I know how to live in abundance. I know how to be filled. I know how to be hungry. I know how to live in plenty, and I know how to live in want. I can do all things in Christ who strengthens me. So you really, really can't do this without the spirit of poverty. And again, a lot of it is just little things. It doesn't mean not having quality stuff. It means taking care of your stuff, like taking care of your I don't know, like if you, if you have a, a suit that you, say you're in the banking industry or you're a lawyer, you need to wear nice suits to work or whatever, well, you take care of them. Um, St. Jose Maria used to, when he was walking the streets of Madrid as a young priest, he was visiting the sick and he walked so much, he went to so many times to the hospital visiting people that he literally wore a hole in the bottom of his shoes and he never wanted to replace them. They had to actually give him, they had, his friends had to get together and buy him a new pair of shoes and he would just keep shining them up and, and they looked awesome on the outside. Nobody really knew there was a hole in the bottom, but... But he, he tried to live the, the spirit of poverty as best he could. And he said, uh, here's another thing. I, I'll kind of leave it at this. 
and this is this is from a, another set of writings of his known as the way on point number 635 on poverty he says you haven't got the spirit of poverty if when you're able to choose in such a way that your choice is not noticed you do not select for yourself what is the worst what is the worst so you got a couple of choices there um, I don't know there's you're at the office potluck and there's I don't know I'm trying to think of something you know there's I don't know apple pie and then there's for dessert you could have um, I don't know uh, kale salad with a little bit of sugar on top is that even a thing I don't know but but yeah I don't like kale but I'll take that because it's the worst <laughs> so I don't know it's just it's just little things that nobody would notice I, I think I think that's that's really really important for us to, to just have our hearts free and uh, that's that's what we have to do so anyways and trust everything to God that's what we've got to do you're listening to the kale Clark show on relevant radio triple eight nine one four nine one four nine let's go to the phones right now actually let's go to line one Mary in Winchester California hi Mary hi Oh, thank you. I love your show and everything about relevant radio. But I have a question, though, because uh, my grandson is asking, sure. do dogs, because of St. Francis of Assisi, you know, we're mm-hmm. taking our dogs mm-hmm. to church to get blessed and everything. Do yeah. they have souls? Yeah. They yeah, do? that's it. That's a great. That's a great question, Mary. Hey, th- yeah. thank you for your kind words about Relevant Radio. Really appreciate you you listening. And that's a really good question. Yeah, because it, it is the feast of Saint Francis of Assisi. He's well known uh, for his love of creation, animals, and the parish I go to is actually called Saint Francis of Assisi Parish. And we just did this a few days ago: the blessing of the animals. Now, before I became a dog owner, I would have been like, "This is I don't know. This is just it would have seemed very very odd to me." But now I kind of get it. So people brought their dogs, brought their puppies, and there was a big sort of celebration, blessing of the animals. Now, as, as to whether or not they have souls, they do have souls. They do have souls. But they are animal souls. So any, anything that's alive has a soul. It's the animating principle of the thing. Even if, And this is something that I, that I learned which kind of, kind of blew my mind when St. Thomas Aquinas talks about this in, in his writings. Even plants have a soul. Because if it's alive, it, it's somehow living. It's got a plant soul. Now, is it an eternal soul? Not necessarily. Now, obviously, our souls, the souls of human persons, created in the image and likeness of God, we have a rational soul. We have an eternal soul. It's different from uh, what the souls of the animals have. Now, animals operate purely by instinct. So we, we've got, we're on another level here, right? And... So then, obviously, this leads to the question of, you know, will my pooch be in heaven with me? Do dogs go to heaven? And I would say this, there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth. I don't exactly know what that's going to look like yet. Nobody knows, because as St. Paul says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor has it even entered into the mind of human beings what God has prepared for those who love him. So we don't know. If he doesn't know, then I certainly don't know. But... um I think I think there's a good possibility that there will be dogs in heaven because there's going to be I mean we're going to be living in a, uh, heaven's a physical place we're going to be living in physically resurrected bodies just like our lord was resurrected from the dead and on our Jesus 101 series on the faith explained show 
1230 Central or catch the podcast. That's what we're talking about right now. We're talking about Jesus in history. And right now, kind of the capstone piece we're talking about during these days, the evidence for the physical resurrection of Jesus from the dead. So it stands to reason that if there's going to be a new heavens, a new earth, I don't know what that's going to look like exactly. But there would be, if, if everything God created is good, he's going to want to recapitulate this in the new heavens, the new earth. So I could see there being dogs. Now, whether or not my dog will be there, my dog who recently passed away, Egbert, am I going to see Egbert? Well, here's what I would say. If I needed Egbert to be there, to be happy, he'll be there. So I know that's, that's, oh, that's a cop out, but, but uh, I'm, just, I'm just going to leave it there. I'm just going to leave it there. And uh, Mary, I hope I hope that's a satisfying answer to your question. But that then yeah, animals do have souls; they have animal souls for sure, for sure. And uh, thank you so much for your call to the Kale Clark Show. Hey, listen, we're going to take a little break right now, but I got some fun stuff for you after the break, and uh, it'll it'll be pretty tasty. It'll be pretty tasty. That's a little tease for you. Um, but hey, it's a special time of year, and it's the 20th anniversary of something really really nice that a lot of you enjoy and we're going to talk about that plus more of your phone calls 888-914-9149 it's the kale clark show only on relevant radio be right back explaining the catholic faith and how you can live it and share it too it's the kale clark show have a question give kale a call at 888-914-9149 Hey, welcome back to the program. That's right, triple eight nine one four nine one four nine. We're going to make you happy. We're going to give you what you need to uh, get your dosage of faith, facts, and fun. Here, here's a little fun topic for you. And speaking of getting your dosage of fun, at this time of year, people are lining up as they always do for a certain beverage that turned twenty years old this fall. What am I talking about? I'm talking about the PSL, not a personal seat license, you know, for the new Chicago Bears stadium that's going to be built in Arlington Heights. I'm talking about the pumpkin spice latte, of course, the pumpkin spice latte. I can't believe it's been 20 years since Starbucks introduced the ubiquitous fall drink. And I read an interesting piece about this uh, in the New York Times by uh, Ella Quitner wrote this piece. Ella Quitner, that's a fun name. I wonder if she's quit drinking pumpkin spice lattes. I don't know. Many people have not, uh, and I'll tell you, we know this because it has turned 20. So it's been around for two decades. That that just blows my mind. I can't believe it. I can't believe it. And, and by the way, Starbucks, they, they kind of invented the whole pumpkin genre. I don't know if you know this, but th- this is this was an unbelievable statistic to me to, to hear. I, I couldn't believe this when I read it, but I think it's true. It, last year... Pumpkin flavored products. Get this. You don't. Do you know how many? You know how many dollars has have been pumped into the economy with pumpkin flavored products? Pumpkin flavored products accounted for seven hundred and eighty-seven million dollars in national sales across the USA. That is very, very close to a billion dollars a year. So we're talking about not just pumpkin spice lattes, but apparently there are such things as, and I did not know that they existed, and I don't know if they necessarily need to, pumpkin spice hummus. Do we really need pumpkin spice hummus? That's a, you know obviously a little nice concoction made of chickpeas. It's very, very good. There's apparently something called pumpkin spice deodorant. Pumpkin, do we, do we, 
is this a thing? Pumpkin spice deodorant? Do people just kind of wear this in the fall? Is this a seasonal thing? Uh, I think my pits already kind of smell like pumpkin spice, maybe rotting pumpkin spice. I, I don't know if that's a good thing. I don't know if I'd want to get a whiff of that or not. Um, by contrast, you would think that peppermint products would be still be pretty solid, you know, especially at Christmas time. Peppermint bark lattes, whatever. Well, peppermint flavored products, they did pretty terrible in comparison last year. Only four hundred, only four hundred and ninety-four million dollars worth of peppermint products were sold last year. Way, way less than the pumpkin products. So. Starbucks kind of invented a whole new category of all kinds of different things with their pumpkin spice latte. And by the way, it actually, uh, this year's version, it actually, they started selling them on August the 24th. So fall started early this year. And of course, there are copycats out there as well. I don't know if you're a pumpkin spice latte fan. 888-914-9149. Let me know. 888-914-9149. Some people, like, there's just kind of a stigma attached to pumpkin spice latte drinkers that a lot of people are trying to avoid. And then some people are like, they're proud of it. They're like, I don't care. You can label me as whatever you want. I'll, I'll tell you what, what people are saying about y'all in, in just a moment. But there are some copycats out there. Any, anything that, that's, that's working, people will try to copycat it. Dunkin' Donuts, they have created their own pumpkin spice signature latte. It's, it's not just the pumpkin. It's a signature latte. Uh, they started doing that back in 2020. Now, if you're not drinking pumpkin spice lattes presently, I might give you another reason to stick with that, not drinking them. Do you know, do you know how much sugar is in a pumpkin spice latte? In, in a medium, in a medium, which is called a grande, by the way. It's kind of confusing. <laughs> the, the small is called a tall. The medium at Starbucks is called a grande. And then the large is called a venti. All right, I don't know what comes after venti. I'm not sure I want to know, but if you if you have a grande or a medium pumpkin spice latte, it contains 50 grams of sugar. 50. That's 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 a lot more than what's even in a can of Coke. Uh, uh, you know, that is unbelievable. So, when they first started making these 20 years ago, there's actually no real pumpkin in it. Now there's a bit of pumpkin puree, I guess, in the mix somehow. But there's this like flavored syrup that they pump into it, right? And that's there's a lot of sugar in that. There's a lot of sugar in that. And they used to get dinged for having an allegedly carcinogenic coloring agent to make it kind of that pumpkin color. And so they kind of have been playing with the formula a little bit, what's actually in it. And yeah, this is a big thing. So they, they interviewed the New York Times interviewed a guy named Peter Dukes. Put up your Dukes, Peter. And he actually um, was he's called the father of the pumpkin spice latte. Uh, that that's a great title. Hey, I'm the father of the pumpkin spice latte. I like that. Uh, hey, gotta be that's he's made his mark on the world. That's for sure. So he kind of created this. They were kind of like playing with different ideas for a fall drink. They were thinking about honey nut drinks, like honey nut Cheerios, I guess. Maple pecan. Mm, yeah, all right. But then they they started going with pumpkin, and they kind of they kind of rolled it out. In, in different, like, just they kind of did some test markets. They did um, 100 locations in Washington, D.C. on the East Coast. And then they also went to Vancouver, British Columbia, uh, west coast of Canada, just up the road from Seattle. And they kind of tested it out. And people loved it. They went crazy. So the managers were like, man, this is a big hit. You've really, you've really got something on your hands here. So now it's always kind of had its detractors. People, people were um, 
have always kind of certain people have always kind of rolled their eyes at pumpkin spice lattes, and in fact, um, there's there's even been um, I don't know if you've ever heard the term basic, like oh you're so basic, you know it's an insult sometimes that people throw at one another. And what does that actually mean? Uh, the word basic refers to a lack of originality, being totally generic. Uh, somebody who loves mass market items like UGG boots, uh, art. If you're wearing UGG boots, I apologize. I like UGG boots. I don't have any, but my wife has some UGG slippers I bought her. Anyways, uh, uh, live, laugh, love. If you see people with like those signs, those artwork, you know, uh, items in their homes, live, laugh, love. You know, like just generic stuff you can get at like any store. That's basic. You know, that's an insult. Uh, so hey, if you like pumpkin spice lattes, you're just so basic. You're just so basic. And, and there's this sort of you know, derogatory. People will say, oh, it's Christian girl autumn again. It's Christian girl autumn. It's fall. They're all drinking their pumpkin spice lattes. We don't like you guys. Um, and so off, very often, and the New York Times talks about this, a lot of women attack other women for being pumpkin spice latte lovers. Uh, and so you're kind of, and, and then, you know, and they interviewed a lady named, uh, who was a teacher in Texas, Jennifer Rominger. And she, she was like, I don't care. You can insult me all you want. I, I love this to me. It's, this is like a, a harbinger of fall. I just love it. It's like the changing of the seasons. It's like a ritual. Um, and the, 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 the first pumpkin spice latte of the season came out in August and she had already booked a photo shoot in a pumpkin patch for herself. And I just, so <laughs> This is a this is kind of a kind of a thing. But I think it's a kind of a comfort thing. It's kind of like comfort food. It's it's like ah, it's fall. I love it. I, I love the fall. I love the fall. And, and truthfully, I actually like pumpkin spice lattes. But and you can hate me all you want. But I actually don't drink them anymore just because there's there's too much sugar. So I I'm trying to lose my spare tire. So I, I just kind of go for the normal latte. That's that's all I do. And I kind of just you know I offer it up. I offer it up. But uh, maybe that's a good thing. I mean, people think I'm uncool if I order the PSL. Anyways, wonder what you guys think. Triple eight nine one four nine one four nine. That's always kind of a fun topic. All right, so let's uh, let's go back to the phones right now. Let's go to Rudy in Orange County, California, in Westminster. Hey, Rudy. Hey, Kale. It's the guy from Disney again. <laughs> Perfect. Hey, welcome back. It's good to have you. Yeah, no problem. Uh, two things. One, remember what St. Francis says: live the gospel, and when necessary, use words to yeah. explain. But actually, I'm calling because of the person about asking if animals have a soul. Okay. This is my story. I'll go real quick. I had a cat. Uh, she was having problems. Took her to the vet. Tried to get her stuff. She couldn't swallow. My mm. best friend, who was my roommate at the time, was going to go to a retreat to uh, Father Don Calloway, the Marians of Mary in Pennsylvania. Okay. Shot him. Flew out on Friday. So I prayed to God. It's like, God, if it's time for her to come home, please tell me. So he came back on Sunday, picked him up. I didn't say nothing at all. He looks at me. He goes, oh, I have a message for you. Hmm. I go, what? He goes, yes, it is time for her to come home. Hmm. And then that's when I explained to him what my prayer was. And sure enough, that night when she always slept with me in my bed, she crawled up on my chest, tapped me on my lips, and then took her last breath. And that's how come I know it's a creation of God. He takes it back to him. Mm. Wow, that's a that's a that's a heartrending story, and it must have been some comfort for you, Rudy, to, to get that message from from your friend. And 
Um, you know, you know what's interesting also about something you said, and I'm so glad you called back again, Rudy. It's good, good to hear from you. And everybody thinks St. Francis of Assisi said this, this, this quote, preach the gospel at all times, if necessary, use words. Um, he never said that. That's interesting. And, and I remember a few years ago, Scott Hahn, Dr. Scott Hahn, who teaches at the Franciscan University of Steubenville, he actually investigated this because all these Franciscan friars and scholars were at the university. And he's like, guys, can you do me a solid here? Can you look this up? Can you tell me if he ever said this? Where did he say it? I want the quote. I want to figure this out once and for all. So they dug into it, did some research. There's no, it's kind of an urban legend. It's kind of an ecclesiastical urban legend. He never actually said that. Now, there is a, a bit of truth there, obviously, this idea that we our, our whole lives are kind of a witness to the gospel. And St. Paul talks about this as well. He says, you are you are epistles of Christ. You are like kind of a, like a living letter of Christ to the world. Like the, people read your life. So they notice things. They notice things. But this whole concept of preach the gospel at all times, if necessary, use words. Well, it is necessary. It will be necessary. And here's why it's necessary. Because when people see your life, they kind of get thirsty. They kind of get, you know, you're the salt of the earth. Salt makes you thirsty, right? It's like salt on your popcorn at the movies. You want to go get the big drink, the big gulp drink, right? Because you're thirsty. Well, when people read your life and see Christ in you, it's like, I want some of this. This is making me thirsty. I want, I'm spiritually thirsty. So tell me about this. What's going on? What's different about you? Why are you like this? Why are you so peaceful? Everybody else is losing their minds. Tell me what, what's going on. You have this spirit of poverty. Everybody else seems like a materialist. You're happy with what you've got. Your iPhone is more than two years old and it doesn't bother you, whatever the case may, might be. So that's when we have to t- actually tell people about Christ. And that's what kind of scares people because they actually have to say something. But that's okay. Don't, don't worry about it. People stress about this way, way, way too much. And I think one of the best ways around this is to, to use the, the sharing your story approach. Um, and, and Tomorrow on The Faith Explained, I'm going to be talking about how St. Paul told his conversion story not once, not twice, three times in the Acts of the Apostles. And there was not much papyrus out there to waste. He didn't have an unlimited electronic Google Doc to write in. Okay, So he, he said it three times that Luke records, and I'm sure he told it many more times than that. And so it, it, just to tell the story of what, what Christ, the difference he's making in our life, is a good start. He's done this for me. He's given me peace. He's given me this. He's given me that. And first of all, nobody can really argue with that because that's your personal experience. But number two, if it gives rise to questions, people say, what about this? What about that? What about the church teaching on X? I don't, I don't agree with that. Say, that's a great question. Let me get back to you on that. Let me get back to you. I mean, you can give us a call here at Relevant Radio and call one of the shows. You can call me and call Patrick Madrid. You can call Father Simon doesn't matter. Father Rocky, the Rosary, I mean, we're there to pray, but, you know, you can always bring things up and, and look great resources online um, and say, I'm going to do some homework. I'm going to get the answer. Now, it's good for you, too, because you, you get to always you learn more when you have to look up the answer yourself. And and, and don't don't stress out about it so much. Um, that's what I would say. But, but I appreciate that call so much. Uh, thank you very much, Rudy. All right, let's go now to Rosemary in Redlands, California. Hey, Rosemary. Hello. Hey, good to have you on the program. <laughs> Thank you. Well, this comes up every fall, pumpkin spice. And yes. people say, oh, I don't like pumpkin. It's the spice that you put in pumpkin, not mm. pumpkin. It's, it has no pumpkin in it. 
But apparently it does now. That's a thing. I know what you're saying. Like it wasn't well, originally pumpkin spice. It was like cloves and yeah. ginger or something. Or yeah. But the very phrase itself, pumpkin spice, whatever. Mm-hmm. We have pumpkin spice popcorn out here, but pumpkin spice just means it's the <laughs> spice you put in pumpkin. And yes, I guess some people are still use, are actually using real pumpkin. But then it would be spiced pumpkin latte because <laughs> then it yeah. has pumpkin in it. Yeah, yeah, you could say that to someone. I'm not drinking a pumpkin spice. I'm drinking a spice pumpkin. Oh, okay. I'm going to leave you alone now. English is a funny language. Yeah, yeah, it it really is. It really is. Hey, thank you. Thank you, Rosemary, for the call. Maybe they put some rosemary in there. I don't know, but uh, I I appreciate you. And uh, and we were trying to add a little spice to your life here on the Kale Clark Show. Well, listen, the pumpkin spice latte, it's a drink for fall. It's a drink for autumn. And I hate to bring up Advent and Christmas, but I need to. I need you. To, to listen to me for this for, for just a second here because there's something here that you can win that you will want and this is absolutely unbelievable we're giving away 200 beautiful nativity sets to you guys our listeners here at relevant radio we want to make sure that you can get it in time to display it during advent and christmas time now if you want to win this nativity set and by the way these are absolutely beautiful they're each valued at over 500 dollars. they're really nice pieces of work and they've been donated by a very, very generous listener to Relevant Radio. And if you want to win one of these, we only have 200. All you've got to do is go to relevantradio.com slash set, S-E-T, because it's a nativity set. Relevantradio.com slash set. But you have to register in the next couple of days before midnight on October the 15th, midnight central time. So just do it now. Get it out of your mind. It, it, it's a little thing that you're going to forget about it later. So just go right now to relevantradio.com slash set. And while you're there, while you're on the website, don't forget about relevantradio.com slash encounter because there's a brand new Eucharistic Encounter video by Father Rocky that you will not want to miss. He's, co- he's putting these out every week. And by the way, Father Rocky's going to be with me on the program tomorrow. So don't miss it. It's going to be a lot of fun. And these videos that he's put out, they're, they're, they're filled with a lot of fun, too, and a lot of faith and a lot of facts. Faith, facts, and fun. That's what the Kale Clark Show is all about. And Father Rocky brings that to the table in spades. This is one of the staff favorites, by the way, the video for this week. So don't miss that, relevantradio.com slash encounter. Thanks for listening to the Kale Clark Show. Patrick Madrid joining Father for the Rosary later. Don't miss it after Timory's show, which is coming up next. Jim produced. Patrick took your phone calls. Take it away, Michaela. Thank you for listening to my daddy.